0: Did you know that the Pop Culture Preservation Society depends on support from listeners like you to keep our podcast up and running? We are an independent operation, creating, producing, distributing, and promoting the podcast by ourselves, and paying for it out of our own pockets, because we love it and we think it's worth it to preserve the well-loved cultural nuggets from our Gen X youth. If you'd like to become a supporter of the PCPS, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and search for Pop Culture Preservation Society. Our Patreon supporters are like our pit crew, giving us the fuel we need to keep on trucking. And as a Patreon supporter, you'll also get special thank you gifts, like video recordings of our episodes, after-the-episode discussions, invitations to live events over Zoom, and the occasional blooper delivered straight to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening and for being a part of our society. Welcome back, everybody, to our conversation about our favorite teen idols from the golden age of teen idols, which was our era of teen idols. So I guess we were lucky, right? How many times can you say teen idols? Teen idols! (laughs) (laughs) Because you know what, you guys? It's not a word that is used anymore. You're right. This is something that only applied to us and people before us. And when I say teen idol now... People look at me like, what is that? They literally ask, what is the definition of that? And so, as you know, I've written a book about a teen idol and I started writing it about 10 years ago. And about halfway through, when people were asking me about what is a teen idol, I had to change my wording to celebrity crush.
1: Oh, Oh, I like teen idol much better. It's and different, it's not, isn't it? And it's yeah. not jokey. Like I feel like today if you say teen idol, it sounds so like almost, oh, a teen idol. Like that's so like eye roll. But it Diminished. was a very real yeah. term for mm-hmm. our generation. And we know this to be true because we recently talked to Wesley Yur from Land of the Lost and listeners, we have a really fun um episode coming up in season eight that we're busy putting together um, for you guys. But he talks about getting together with other teen idols. And he says it without laughing. He says mm-hmm. it as if it's a matter of fact. He's like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I'm friends with, I was friends with Chris Atkins and we we're all like, what, how? And he's like, with like totally straight face, he says, oh, the teen idols used to all get together. And we, we didn't laugh parties. like, exactly, <laughs> right. because yeah. that's what they
2: were. I mean, let's just be real.
1: Okay. That's what they were.
2: And think about it. They. um That's a really um small group of people. If you yeah, think about, you know, to be considered a teen idol, there are, what several hundred probably that can say that they've ever been considered a teen idol. So what a small niche group that you have this intense thing in common with. I mean, who else has people you know coming up and just bowling Crying. them over? I think and all one of, of the yeah, I bet crime. one of the
1: requirements is that you have to have had staples in your tummy at least five times. <laughs> That's <laughs> from the po- the poster. Wait, Oh, Christmas. <laughs> hey, I'm look like, at that. Carolyn mean, got it, and Kristen didn't. And I didn't. I didn't. Oh, what's happening Wait, now? Did you like, think got their stomach what? stapled? What, what are, are we? I don't understand. Okay, what? listeners, for those of you I'm at the back kidding. of the class, Kristen, I meant in a Tiger Beat magazine. If you were the centerfold, you had staples in your tummy. That's
0: right.
1: It doesn't That's mean right. you got gastric bypass. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "What don't I know?"
0: There's a story. I know.
1: One thing that we can't neglect to mention uh, today is that just yesterday, um, we were so sad to hear of the passing of Adam Rich, who uh, played Nicholas Bradford on 8 is Enough, um, who may not have been considered a teen idol to us, but certainly was to some, we bet. Mm -hmm. I mean, he definitely had presence in Tiger Beat and was definitely um, at all the the events and, and all the things. and. Um, only 54 years old, you guys. And I know that Adam Rich has struggled over the decades with mental illness and, um, you know, just different things. Um, and he's been very vocal about it. So we don't know. We don't know the circumstances surrounding his death, but, um, regardless, it's very, very sad. And especially this one hits differently. Someone from not someone we that was maybe older than us that we idolized growing up, but someone right from. Our age group and our age mate. Yeah, right in the heart of it. That Mm -hmm, one is,
0: that's a little scary, isn't it? That means we're, we're not only is it really sad that he's passed away at such a young age, but it means we're, we're wading into a certain territory. And I remember when this happened to my parents when the people that they loved started dying and they would say, Does that mean that we're old? What
1: does that mean for us?
2: Mm hmm. Uh, oh, I know. it's
1: Okay, that's their- dark. I don't like that. Let's change yeah, the let's, let's Yeah, let's change it for that news and hope his family and people who really loved
2: him are doing okay. I'm wondering, though, looking back to that episode, do you think we would rank the celebrities and the teen idols the same way today that we did several – what was that last was that, like year, a I guess? year? Well, it was episode because it's 42, so so 50 right? episode, Even yeah? though we
0: had – we had criteria. It still is extremely subjective, and things like that tend yes. to change around. You look at Rolling Stone and the way they do their their um, you know top 200 rock and roll stars of all time or something, and people get all mad that somebody wasn't included. And I still feel very confident in this top 10. I do, too. Especially the number one spot, who, of course, we're not going yes. to reveal. I feel very strongly about uh-huh. that number one spot.
2: Well, I feel that um- – <sighs> somebody that you guys were super kind and I fought <laughs> tooth and nail to get even on the list, ladies and gentlemen, um, was my teen idol crush, James Vincent McNichol. Of course, you have name. to say, you have to always say she James Mcnichol. Vincent It's like she's McNichol. paying respect. Yeah. James well, that's what Vincent. would have been on the marriage certificate. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yes, that would have been on the wedding invitations <laughs> we would have received in the mail. That's right. That's, that's right. That's why she does it. I never knew but that. I am confident, 100% confident, that after March 12th, You, too, would agree that he needs to be higher on the list. So, listeners, if you don't already know, March 12th is a really exciting date for us. We are going to be attending an incredible event, a Teen Idol dinner party. James Vincent McNichol will be one of the guests. We will be mingling with him.
0: Five with
2: hours we are gonna Sorry, be with yeah. these celebrities. We're,
0: okay. just like We're gonna We're mingling, mingling him yeah. with James. Well Carolyn might
1: be, but right. Christian and
2: I will not. We'll video it though, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, but um Kristen, tell us a little bit about the event. So this is how this event is different
0: from a meet and greet or an autograph convention. This is literally like think about the game that you play where if you could invite anyone to dinner, who would it be? Christy McNichol. So, this is a right James Mint Right. This is <laughs> This is that fantasy come true. This is a dinner party that includes, help me if I forget somebody, Mm -hmm. James Vincent McNichol, our first girl crush, Christy McNichol, Evigan, who played BJ and the Bear. Um, he didn't play the bear. He just played <laughs> the BJ part. Well, and um, my
1: two dads, which was
0: huge. And my in two the dads. Late 80s, yeah, yep. Sexy time, right? Oh, yes. um, and then we have Wesley Yord, like you mentioned, from Land of the Lost, who my neighborhood friends were all over Will Marshall from Land of the Lost. We have Christopher Atkins. Oh good
1: Lord. From he, Blue Lagoon. Who may or may not, not show up in his loincloth and Puka Shells. <laughs>
2: yes. 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 Stay tuned. Does really anybody right? Well, if you buy a ticket to attend, you could see firsthand if he wears his uh, loincloth. Mm -hmm. And us, we'll be there. We'll We'll be there.
0: Yes, we'll be there in (laughs) attendance. And so you get seated at a table with one of these people. Each one of these people has their own table that you will actually dine with them. You have a little cocktail party beforehand. It's like five hours of close, I was going to say intimate.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, for Carolyn.
0: Yeah. Um but it's an actual experience where you get to converse with them and get mm-hmm. to know them as opposed to standing in line having them sign you know your your boob and then move <laughs> along. That's so impersonal.
1: Those autograph shows are so impersonal. They don't even really yeah. look at you. They they don't really you know, let's be honest. The the teen idols they don't really enjoy that either. That's we, We've we talked with enough of them either. now who they really do love connecting with their fans. And they love hearing your stories about why they were important to you. And you get to do that on March 12th. So we yes. already know that we have some of our listeners attending in California and flying from other states as we are. Oh, yeah. That's where it is. It's in California. Um, yes, it's in Yorba Linda. This is an open invitation.
0: People who are out there that we're talking to, if you're hearing our voice right now, you can also go to this dinner uh-huh. party and choose to sit at one of these people's tables.
1: And yes. we will have the link to for you to register uh, in our show notes. If you don't already subscribe to our weekly reader, which is our newsletter that comes directly to your inbox every Friday morning, it's such a fun, just kind of less than three-minute read every week um, that gives you a lot of extras about um, from our show notes, um, a lot of links, things that we're loving right now, that kind of stuff, um, interesting Gen X factoids. Um, why do I say it that way? Fact toys. <laughs> but exciting news. We do have a special discount code for our listeners um, to get, I think it's about $50 off um, a ticket. So that uh, that code will be available in our weekly reader. So you can subscribe to our weekly reader um, on our website, poppreservationists.com, or there is um, a link tree link in our Instagram bio that you can click on and in the show notes.
0: Before we go, you guys, I want to make one book recommendation that I think goes perfectly with this episode, and I think our listeners will li- really enjoy it because it's one of my favorites, really of all time. Mostly because of who I am and um, and what I think about all the time. <laughs> and it's called "I Think I Love You." Does that sound familiar to anybody? I think
1: it's- I love you. Gotta mm-hmm. sing,
0: gotta sing. Yep. It's by Allison Pearson. I'm showing you the the cover right there. I think it's, it's a great so cover. Cute. cute. I would pick and that I'm- cover. I would Isn't pick. I would pluck that up. Yep, I know. It's so mm-hmm. cute. Um, I'm just going to read you the back, so you can you can hear what it's about. Petra and Sharon, two 13 year old girls, are both desperately in love with a world famous pop star. Together, they pour over his photos, read his fan club letters, and even enter a contest whose winners will meet him in person. Decades later. Petra's pushing 40 on the brink of divorce and fighting with her own 13-year-old daughter when she is given the opportunity of a lifetime, the chance to meet the teen idol she loved so long ago. A moving tale of friendship and celebrity, I Think I Love You, perfectly captures the intensity of first love, a love that never entirely goes away. And what they're not telling you on the back there is that this is actually David Cassidy. So the author herself had a crush on David Cassidy when she was growing up and this is modeled on her own experience. And so the the story actually takes you through her getting tickets to go see David Cassidy in concert at the Whitehall concert. If you recall what that this means something to somebody. The uh-huh. Whitehall concert where there tragically a 14-year-old mm-hmm. girl was was killed. And so it gets very intense. It's a really intense book, but it's also really really fun. I love it.
1: everyone so much for joining us again, and we hope you enjoy this encore
2: of episode 42. Honestly, you guys, I just want to start with the fact that I cannot believe that I had to fight so hard for what I thought (laughs) was surely an obvious choice. You
1: thought he was a shoe in
2: (laughs) Wait, I brought receipts, guys. Hello world, there's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. Lot of love is what we'll be bringing. will make you happy. Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who give a hoot and don't pollute. And you will never, not ever, catch them throwing litter out of a station wagon window. Ever.
1: We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today, we will be saving the boys
0: torn from the pages of Tiger Beat for our preteen viewing pleasure in the Pop Culture Preservation Society's official countdown of the top 10 teen idols of the Tiger Beat era.
1: I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle and we are your Hello. pop culture preservationists.
2: Come on get happy
0: The preteen pop star crush is a universal phenomenon. It's your first clunky attempt at love, and it pops up in every generation. Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley, The Beatles, David Cassidy, Rick Springfield, The Backstreet Boys, Hanson, Justin Bieber, One Direction, Shawn Mendes. Do you want me to keep going? You had one. Your mom had one. Your daughter had one. And there are millions of people out there having one right now. Hashtag Harry Styles. And once you get past it, it becomes a treasured part of your history, something that
1: brings you joy each time you revisit it. That's so true.
2: (laughs) Oh, gosh, yes.
1: (laughs) And growing up in the 70s and 80s provided us with a steady diet of adorable pop stars gracing the covers of Teen Beat, Tiger Beat, and Dynamite magazines with headlines like, Are you the girl for Andy? Or, Win Leafs Dinosaur! Totally serious (laughs) about that, by the way. (laughs) A headline suggesting that Donny Osman might actually call you up and ask you to marry him launched a generation of love affairs. They were love affairs in which the two people had never actually met, but it could still happen, right? Yes. Oh, yes, right. definitely.
2: <laughs> definitely. And the magazine that was inarguably the most revered, the most coveted, the most trusted source of intel on our crushes was Tiger Beat. Were you Mm -hmm. even a preteen in the 70s and 80s if you didn't read Tiger Beat? So Tiger Beat was the brainchild of Chuck Loffer, a high school English teacher who wanted to encourage more kids to read. So what better way to do that than to plaster a magazine with celebrities, teen crushes of preteen girls in the 70s, 80s, and the 60s? The first issue featuring the Righteous Brothers hit newsstands in 1965 and cost only 35 cents. A journalism and English teacher at Beverly Hills High School, Lawford thought this magazine devoted to teen interests would be a success, and his timing was fortuitous. The monkeys were just beginning to explode in popularity, and Tiger Beat saw its circulation rise when it profiled the fun-loving group. Well, you guys, the magazine did not feature hard-hitting exposés, but rather the news we wanted to hear. News like, what were our idols' favorite colors? What was their idea of the perfect date? At its peak in the 1970s, Tiger Beat and its sister publications reached roughly 2 million readers a month. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Mm -hmm. The last issue was published in December of 2018.
1: So the heyday of Tiger Beat was the late 60s to the early 80s which is our sweet spot, you guys, right? Right. Yes, it is. Yeah, yes, it's, that was sure. when we Gen Xers were just starting to notice boys. The 70s and the 80s in particular offered up an overwhelming cornucopia of tigers from which <laughs> to choose on TV, on the radio, in the movies. And if you were anything like us, listeners, your walls were covered, covered with eight and a half by 11 inch posters painstakingly torn from the pages of Tiger Beat. God forbid the staples were on the face. Oh, no, no, that (laughs) was not okay. Exactly. Uh, But this was how we decorated our rooms and how we expressed Mm -hmm. our identities, how we practiced kissing uh, (laughs) and how we fell in love. And those posters, those posters on our walls told our moms that we were growing up. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, today we are going to put on our pro crushologist hats to determine which of those lovers were the best of the best. Who were the best teen idols of the Tiger Beat era? For our purposes, we are going to use the years 1967 to 1981, roughly from the Monkees to Rick Springfield, when Tiger Beat was really at its most bountiful. And we've created what we're calling the crushology scale, a numerical device for measuring and determining the 10 best teen idols of our childhood. And one of them, just one will be deemed the number one teen idol of the Tiger Beat era, as determined by us. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Right. Because it's our podcast. Um, okay, so what is the Crushology is it, Scale? Can
1: I ask a question? Yes. Is it like the Yatsky Scale?
0: Yes, it is. Oh. It is modeled after the Yatsky Scale. Which Thank means that the what Yacht we say guys. goes. That That's is right. Quick. Okay, good, good. Sorry. We get to decide. We invented it. That's right. It's our rules. Yes. So how did we determine who were the top 10 teen idols of the Tiger Beat era? It was based on four criteria.
2: Yes. The first one we looked at was the hysteria factor, the ability to inspire hysteria and do uncharacteristic things. Like, I don't know, does anybody know someone who threw their arms around David Cassidy (laughs) during a Las Vegas concert and maybe didn't let go for a long (laughs) time?
1: I don't, I don't I don't know. I, I, I think I someone know. whose name rhymes with Tristan, perhaps, <laughs> I just, but I don't know. <laughs> and it was a moment of hysteria.
2: Yes. <laughs> and Tristan, how old were you?
1: Um I was in my mid thirties. <laughs> <laughs> so long lasting hysteria. Just, Kristen, remember when we were at Sean Cassidy, and we said, wow, we're looking around, and we're like, everybody falls into one of two camps. Back then, you were in that other camp, maybe, just a little bit, where you really couldn't let the crush go.
0: Yeah, it was a moment where I took leave of my senses. Mm Just a moment,
1: but you yes. got to do it. Yes, I did. How great mm-hmm. is And she that? has not showered mm-hmm. since, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> I know that I've told you all. My first concert was uh, not my first concert, but my um, a big my first like big deal concert was Duran mm-hmm. Duran, and I remember my friends and I. This is in 1984. And my friends and I, the way I have always described it is as if we were at the beat, all that footage you see of when people would see the Beatles, we were grabbing onto each other until we were about to fall down, screaming and <sighs> sobbing and crying when Duran Duran, when the lights came up. And that's hysteria. That's, yes, that is hysteria. Yes. That's, that's how what I, And I experienced senses. it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. I was part of You lose of it. control.
2: Mm-hmm. You totally yeah. lose mm-hmm. control. Um, so yes, yeah, so hysteria was one of the factors we looked at. And then- Cover domination. How many times did the teen idol that we were looking at make the cover of Tiger Beat?
1: Mm-hmm. Through those years Our 1967 Bible. through 1981. Mm-hmm. Correct. And then we looked at ubiquity factor. Ubiquity, that is a that is a five-dollar word there, isn't it? <laughs> ubiquity sure. I am factor guilty of which that sometimes. what we mean by that is where and how often did we see or hear them? Like what was their level of visibility on the radio, on TV? Etc. Um, mm-hmm. And then number four was Salesforce. Um, albums, posters, concert tickets, merch, <laughs> lunch boxes, <laughs> trading <laughs> cards. Um, basically, we were looking at stats. Okay, so then,
0: then as the self-proclaimed pro crushologist in the group, I had the daunting task of taking those ten people and ranking them in order of. Impact or effect on our culture, or notoriety, or legacy, or honestly, after years of studying teen idol crushes amongst people who are my age, I also depended on a sixth sense of who embodies the title of teen idol the most. Yes, I used data, but I also used my spidey senses.
2: And I, I just um, want to tell everyone, your spidey senses are on fleck. Do they or fleek? Thank never. you. <laughs> that
0: on
1: fleck? Oh, take that out. That- no, no that please leave stay. it in. Please that was on fleck. That reminds that me of what was, was the episode a mom where moment. she called him the Mr. <laughs> rapper or something. Oh, oh, the hey, Rapper yeah. Gentleman. The Rapper Gentleman. The Rapper Gentleman. I love the Rapper Gentleman. It was in um, Schoolhouse <laughs> Rock episode. Yeah, you
2: It's all to say... In. That Kristen does have a sixth sense, <laughs> mm-hmm. and she It's has- her
1: special
0: power. Yeah, it is. It is. It's my, it's my superpower, and that's why I'm living my best life right now. At this moment, you guys, <laughs> this is my best life. So the three of us, we bring a lot of knowledge to the table, but we also bring a lot of feelings mm-hmm. about this topic yep. and these people. And we need you to know that as we sat around the table discussing these assessments, trying to determine who deserved to be in our top 10, it got... A little tense.
1: <laughs> hey, I was hungry, okay? And I was having a hot flash that lasted about six hours. <laughs> yes. Okay, so you're telling me, though, that after playing um, the guy in Saturday Night Fever for the same amount, and, and then Danny Zuko, when John Travolta stepped outside, the girls didn't want to, like, do you rip think his is head off? Yes, I think it's no, a definitely a nine. Is, no, what
0: I mean is eight is high. Eight is, eight is
1: like, that's a really good score. John I think Revolta. it's higher. I think it's higher, so then though, where I'm where do you put David Cassidy? Like David Cassidy and Chuck has your tens, and I think John Travolta would have been like. A- He's like if John Travolta
0: is an eight, David Cassidy is a fourteen. Oh, okay,
2: well yeah. I'll defer to you guys. I don't. I don't mind. This could be our first <laughs> argument. <laughs> now I'm all worried that listen, I can't even think about this anymore. I think Michelle's going to go home and tell Brian that we're mean to her. No. and that we are, like, <laughs> didn't want John Travolta on there, <laughs> and Carolyn was like, no. <laughs> or I, this is too hard. This
0: might be too hard. I don't know. Maybe we have to have a top nine. <laughs>
2: We Wait, just quit while we're who at Who are these people? How many are up there?
0: We oh, have nine. Oh, my God. One, somebody two, please two, just three, throw a
2: dart
1: four, five, five, Who are these people? nine. Perfect. That? Yeah, Let's just give her Jimmy McNichol. And, and that
2: guy. Remember him? Michael Gray. Oops. Let's no, just give her
1: Jimmy McNichol. No. <laughs> That's not accurate okay, at all.
2: here's so, all oh, oh, I, so I want to say. And we were talking about John Travolta. And
0: it was hard. Jimmy McNichol. was hard work, you guys. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yes, hard.
2: Yeah, and I think we all had kind of our own perceptions of what makes a teen idol and that mm-hmm. kind of coupled with our personal crush memories mm-hmm. made us or me maybe um, very stubborn and <laughs> unflexible <laughs> in some of our choices. <laughs>
0: But we yeah. tried. We did we our did. best. We tried to we be did. as objective
1: as we could. And um, I think it's a testament to our friendship, is that we can all be, we can have these heated discussions with each other. And some people who will remain nameless, I'm he- here raising my hand, can get <laughs> hangry and bratty. And and every and I know that everybody still loves me.
0: Yeah, that's true. And then we come back and, and we mm-hmm. record the next day. It's
1: all good. It it's is. all good. Yeah. Okay, and so for all of you listening, um, hangry or not, it might get tense for you, too, because I'm sure you're waiting to hear your crush announced in the number one spot. But listen, listen, please don't at us. Don't send us emails, <laughs> suspicious packages. You can go ahead and yell at us on whatever device you're listening on. And we respect your opinions. We do. But we can't hear you, people. We can't hear you. We love you, but we can't hear you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> They're all yelling at their phones right now. <laughs> I was gonna say radios. They're probably not yelling at their radio. So we also need you to know that we did not include any groups as a whole. So you won't find the Bay City rollers on this list. Wah, wah. No matter how much you love them, because polygamy is a crime. You can only <laughs> marry one person at a time. So no groups. Um, and
1: plus I was confused by their haircuts. Oh, so I didn't confused. get it. Yeah. I know I, you know. I didn't I just love use- their music. My I mom used to say my sister had a poster of them on the wall, and my mom used to say it looks like some of them have hair dryers that are built into the top of their skull <laughs> that are just always on on. <laughs> and Doesn't that, isn't that a good that? visual yeah. though? Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh my god. I love them. I love them, but I don't understand. But you also won't find any Jackson 5 either for the same reason. And plus, then we'd have to talk about Michael Jackson, and we don't know how to do that yet. We're working on it. We're working on it. We're figuring it out. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also worth mentioning that teen magazines were super segregated. So if you were looking for the Jackson 5, you were not going to find them on the cover of Tiger Beat too often. Not never. Just not that often. The the, n- the amount of covers that they were on didn't tell the story of how popular they really mm-hmm. were. So you'd have to buy Jet Magazine or Ride On or Ebony for that, which is why people often wonder why it seems like all the teen idols were white guys. That's your mm-hmm. answer right there. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so all the caveats are out of the way. Are you guys ready? Oh, we so ready. ready. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do this. And now on with our countdown. Number 10 spot, we have two people.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Kristen.
0: I know. It's not me. It's not me i know no no i'm not taking responsibility for this one it's true not because it wasn't a numerical tie per se more because the feelings in the room when we were discussing this <laughs> got very big and we're the bosses and it's our count- countdown so we decided that carolyn's voice really needed to be honored here because she fought so oh, hard so carolyn was, tell us a good who debate. is in the number 10 spot <gasps>
2: Honestly, you guys, I just want to start with the fact that I cannot believe that I had to fight so hard for what I thought was surely an obvious choice. You
1: thought he was a shoe
2: in Wait. I brought receipts, guys. Wait till you hear why Jimmy McNichol is squeaking in at number 10. Okay. Gosh. He should be higher. But okay. Number 10. All right, friends. Listen up. We saw him all over our TV screens. He was in TVs and movies from the early to mid-70s with guest roles on some popular TV shows, um, but then moved on to have two television series, not one, but two, The Fitzpatricks and California Fever. Tuesday on California Fever, a Foxy brunette cons Jimmy McNichol into betting his car on a drag race. Catch all the action on California Fever, Tuesday at 8, 7, seven, seven. And this is where his ubiquity factor, you guys, I think, I might say it eclipses everyone else in our list.
0: Wow! Um, <laughs> Eclipses—that's a big word. I know. She is, well, okay. She's, listen, I'm right. uh, putting
1: it all on the table.
2: I am. So I've already mentioned the two TV series. Then he had a talk show, a weekly talk show that he was the host of, called Hollywood. Oh, I Teen. didn't know that. He also had his very own—not with his sister, not with anyone else—his very own TV special. Aptly t- titled the Jimmy McNichol special, and it featured guests like Magic Johnson, Donna Pescow. I mean, is she just going to go on anyone? Donna Peskow. Yes. Angie. <laughs> she's not going to go on just anyone's TV special. No, Th- this she's gives not. him some cred. Or some cred. Um, Conrad Bain was also on there. Ricky Schroeder, <laughs> Mr. Drummond. <laughs> oh, yes, big stars. He big.
1: creeped me out.
2: Yes, five movies, you guys, including. My all-time favorite made-for-TV movie, Champions, A Love mm. Story. This is the one that got Carolyn. Mm-hmm.
0: This is what made her a lifelong oh, fan of Jimmy McNichol.
2: His, his, his dramatic the, chops. It was
1: the, it was the are, unitard. Are beyond. <laughs> the it's big onesie. So
2: good. And I think you can still watch it. I, I can still visualize the scenes. I won't spoil it for anyone. But How oh, have we so not good. been
1: browbeaten to make that a um, entire podcast episode yet? Oh,
2: oh, we're going to—we're going to do a
1: recap of <laughs>
0: *Champions: of Love Story*
1: for,
2: oh, sure. for sure, yeah doubt. Yes. It
0: it's coming. It's a, it's a classic.
2: He yes. was also in not one but two after-school specials. He appeared on *Battle of the Network Stars*, *The Carpenters Christmas Special*. He was in *The Love Boat* as a guest role, but not just a one part episode. It was a two-parter. They had it well, on. A to be continued. A to be continued. Not everybody mm-hmm. had that. I don't think Scott what? Baio had one of those. One hour wasn't big enough for Jimmy Yeah,
1: right. They were like, we need more Jimmy
2: <laughs> We need more Jimmy. <laughs> on this boat. No. <laughs> um, and then, of course, he did have his album with his sister uh, called Christine Jimmy McNichol album. <laughs> They
0: weren't super creative with the names of his stuff. No,
2: but no, you know, that's because his name spoke for itself. I mean, oh, people saw oh, Jimmy Michael. Excellent answer. That's a really good <laughs> They knew that you
0: were gonna buy it if it said Jimmy
2: McNichol on it. So they we're like, Why well, try hard? Yeah, that's right. And it wasn't just me buying it, okay? There were millions upon millions of young girls and, and boys perhaps that loved him as much as I did. Um the, he would go, he was on American Bandstand, he's so fine from that album actually hit the Billboard charts. So I mean, right there, I could probably just drop the mic and we'd be fine. But I, I'll tell you a little bit more. <laughs> we
1: do have a finite time limit, Carolyn. So we do have to end in two I hours. I do have Carolee. to get out of here yeah. at a certain time. Well, so I just we got nine, f- we've got
2: ten more to go. Right. (laughs) I'll go fast. (laughs) I did want to defend his hysteria factor because I really think if you are a um, star on television, you don't have as much opportunity to be like packing the amusement parks or whatever with your two songs that you sing. If you don't
0: have a concert, yeah, how do you gauge the hysteria factor?
2: I was going hysterical in my living room in Katy, Texas, so... There was hysteria. It wasn't just maybe mass hysteria that you have video footage Individual of hysteria. Correct. Yeah. Um, and he did have some sales uh, chops. I mean, there were poster sales. There were the album sales. And while he may not have been on the cover of Tiger Beat as much as other celebrities, he definitely was in the pages. Like, uh-huh. he might not have been on the cover, Inside. but he was in yeah. Tiger Beat. And he also was, uh, appeared on the cover of People and Us. With his sister Christy, but that's okay too. So I think.
0: And didn't you, um, didn't you tape record issues, I- issues, issues, episodes of the Fitzgerald on your little Panasonic tape <laughs> okay. recorder? Can, can I put you in fangirl jail right now? Yeah. <laughs> it's Patrick, isn't it? Patrick. Wait. What did Not I say? Fitz, what did Fitzgerald? I say? Oh, sorry.
2: <laughs> Let's cut that. <laughs> No, we're not going to ruin it. my reputation. A pro crushologist doesn't Wait, even know it's Fitzpatrick. I have the to sit in fangirl
1: jail like every third episode. No, it's about time <laughs> someone else took my cell. Slamming those doors right now. Yes, but I don't
0: key. know why I missed that show, but I did. Well, I did you know why miss that you missed it. I
2: don't know. because CBS put it because it was only on for like five episodes. No, it well, had a, no, a season, that. but it was oh, opposite it? Happy days. So how ridiculous! Oh, that's was that? right. Yeah, okay, that's but then tough. there
0: was a moment where I saw a YouTube clip of it, and it, and I saw the mom, and she was pregnant. And she had yeah. glasses, and I was like, "Holy shit! I've seen this show." So yeah, you might have watched it like in the it. summer when yeah. they have the
2: reruns of it. And I you'd think that's what happened. Seen Happy days, yeah, because yeah, Clark and Brandon. And I like
0: shows with Clark oh, Brandon Clark was Brandon. also in the okay.
2: Fitzgerald slash Patrick's. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Tied at number ten. With Jimmy, although Jimmy would be 10A, I would have to say. 10A, this is, is 10B.
0: 10B, okay. mm-hmm. Would
2: be Willie Ames. And he was pretty mm-hmm. darn swoonworthy as well. He was cute. Oh, yeah. And he actually, I cute. think he first caught my eye in 1975 in the series, The Swiss Family Robinson. I loved ah. that show. And mm-hmm. he was a main character in that show. And then after that, we got to see him for five seasons on Eight is Enough as Tommy Bradford. One hundred eleven episodes. He mm-hmm. was in our living rooms weekly, over one hundred eleven times. Okay, so in terms of teen idols, I would say he is probably the one with the longest stretch on our TV screens.
1: Well, and he was absolutely on Aid is enough. He was absolutely the heartthrob, the teen heartthrob. He was. Uh, he was. David the was too on old for most yep. of us watching, and Nicholas was too young. So, right. so I mean. He was, he had a purpose on that show. Mm-hmm. I mean, regardless of the fact if the real Tom Bradford actually had, you know, a son <laughs> that age, named irrelevant. Tommy, Yeah, irrelevant. They put Willie Ames, I mean, his his inclusion in that show was pointed for mm-hmm. to get more girls, already, oh, and you effective. know, more tween girls to watch Totally yeah. effective. That you know, is why I
2: watched the show. Was yeah, I, was, Willie yeah. So. I watched it for Mary. Of course you did. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but his um ubiquitous factor, is that the way I could say it? Ubiquitous. Ubiquity, mm-hmm. ubiquity, but
1: ubiquitous. Oh. She's using or you, it. As, yeah, yeah, he was very yeah, ubiquitous, ubiquitous, ubiquitous factor. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, he was because he was a staple on Battle of the Network stars. Mm-hmm. Um, and hence that was one of the reasons I was always team ABC, except for the one time Jimmy McNichol was on and he was on Team CBS and I cheered for oh, Team stressful. CBS. But besides very, that, very I stressful. was Will cheering Willie and Team ABC. He had uh, a lot of guest roles, and again, the Teen Idol must guest role on Love Boat. We've always got to yeah. find him on there. Uh, and they're going
0: to kiss. He's going to find – they're going to give him somebody exactly. to kiss.
2: And when, yeah. gosh, when he or Jimmy McNichol were on, you knew I was tuned in those nights. Okay. Yep. He was also in four movies. You might not have known that, including – Made for
0: TV movies or um, other, These were actually all motion kind. pictures.
2: Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Um, motion pictures. That's what they call them. Yes. Films. Um, Two of them. Moving one pictures. Picture. Talkies, if you will. <laughs> talkies. You're using four talkies. And Willie Eames didn't even need to talk for me to watch him, to be honest. Um, I'm shake that poodle hair.
1: That's right. And
2: <laughs> and his almost naked body in Paradise, which he starred with
1: oh. Phoebe Cates.
2: It was kind of a B-level <gasps> Blue Lagoon. I totally remember yeah, that movie. that's
0: right. Yeah. Should we move on to number nine? Let's do it, yeah. Sure. Okay. Um we also have two people in the number 9 spot and again just because there are some people who really deserve to be on this list but we had more than 10 people and you can't have a list that's like the top 12 people of all time you can't that doesn't work so we have two people in the number 9 spot the first one in the number 9 spot is Rick Springfield I'm So U.S. audiences were introduced to Rick Springfield when he came on the scene as Dr. Noah Drake Mm -hmm. on the soap opera General Hospital while simultaneously dropping the number one hit, Jessie's Girl, in 1981. I mean, that was teen idol magic right there that Dr. Noah Drake was bringing as Jessie's Girl. That's just almost too much to bear. He followed that up with four more top ten hits. I've done everything Everything for you. you. You've done nothing for me. me. And then also, don't talk to strangers, baby. Don't I should drunk. actually say the title because that will probably get cut and then we won't have any. Okay, so I've done everything for you. Don't talk to strangers. And it's an affair of the heart. Affair of the heart. And then love somebody. I can't remember how that one goes. How does love somebody go? I
2: don't know. I don't know. If I heard okay. it, maybe So they I
0: would, no, I they know. stumped us. Um, so those were the four top ten hits that he had. He disappeared in 1985 after his first son was born, and he did that both to be with his family, um, but also to deal with the depression that had really plagued him his entire life. But he resurrected himself. As one of the most enduring teen idols of all time. So now today, he's 72 years old, and he continues to perform to adoring, screaming fans. He could be the oldest touring teen idol. He never quits, and the people
1: never stop coming or screaming, and he's adorable. I had no idea he was that old. He's played at, the, know. at the entertainment center by my house several times. Yes,
2: and he's also a writer. So I read. Yes, he wrote he one is. fiction book that I read maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago. And then I just got his memoir, which was out a while ago. But I just got it at a used bookstore. I haven't read it yet. But um, he's a great writer. So I'll be interested. He's
0: really quite see. a renaissance man, actually. Yes, And his social media feed is very entertaining and very authentic. He has lots of, you know, facing the camera videos and things like that. He talks to his fans. He's very responsive. People still love him. They really oh, do.
2: That's great. That is great. Well, you ready for the tie? Yeah. Oh, yes. Sharing the number nine spot with Rick Springfield is Bobby Sherman. <laughs> To check out the magazine stands during the 60s and early 70s, no doubt that Bobby Sherman's face would catch your eye. Um, I did a rough count uh, on the, uh, the interwebs or whatever, and I saw that he graced the cover of Tiger Beat alone more than 30 times. I lost, I stopped wow. counting after 30. That's high. That was That's high. That's very
0: high. When you consider there are only 12 issues a year. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, well, I was counting someone like the Tiger Beat special. Oh, yeah. No, oh, like, that counts. that counts. yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you figure – in his career was pretty much late 60s to early 70s. And I think 69 yeah. to 71 were kind of the years that um, he was mm-hmm. really on there. So yeah. um, he was best known for his music and his television career. Get a load of this. From 1969 to 1972, he made seven albums. I was trying to what? figure that, that out. Like that's – they cranked albums out a lot more – a lot – yeah, more they did. back then. It wasn't yep. like mm-hmm. every year or two years you'd hear from someone. And there would be a lot of hits from each of those. Yes, albums, Yes, exactly. Too. And all but two of those seven albums were in the top 100. Twelve singles from those albums charted, like "Julie, Julie, Julie, Do You Love Me?" Do you me? love me? And "Easy Come, Easy song. Go." He starred in the ABC television show "Here Come the Brides." Do you guys remember yeah. that show? I, I do. Oh. I was a baby. You need to go back and watch them because <laughs> I realized when I went back and watched some clips, his brother, I think it was in the show. Is oh, David Soul.
1: <gasps> what? Wait, can ski. you watch those somewhere?
2: Uh, well, I was watching clips. I don't know if you can watch the whole uh, episode. Probably like probably on MeTV. I one of those. did not know that. I know. And they have a duet where they sing together.
0: Oh, on one of God. The I know. Please find that and put that in the show notes.
2: Okay, we will do that. Because okay. talk about two cutie patooties. And I no was kidding. a David Soul fan. Um, but he didn't make the top ten. Spoiler no, alert. Sorry. No. He
1: only <laughs> yeah. had one hit. That's okay. Right. I was last week's. Year old when I <laughs> discovered Bobby Sherman. <laughs> I was, and now I'm like, he's dreamy. He's, he's, I want to put posters of him on my wall. He's so wall. cute. Not, oh. not current day. Is he yeah. dead or not dead? <laughs> I don't even know. No, no, he's still but yeah. I want to put like 1969 Bobby Sherman posters on my wall. That's, I, I completely missed vote on Bobby Sherman because I was born his in 1970. Oh, so his eyes. blue eyes are I mean so I'd certainly spending. heard of him. Yeah. And I certainly knew titles of his songs, but I, I think like I told you guys last week, if Bobby Sherman was like my Starbucks barista uh, in 1960, <laughs> like if 1970 Bobby Sherman was serving me coffee last week, I would have not known. Like, I never took the time to look at him. I knew who his his
2: name was, and now I can't stop
1: looking at him. And he also famously went on to become
0: like a totally normal human.
2: Right. He did. He did. He's, um, he got his paramedic certificate and worked for the LAPD and, um, yeah. the emergency services with them. So he, um, he kind of knew, I think, um, when his, of yeah, time was, was up and he'd done what he wanted to do and was ready to, wow. to lead a normal life. And according to Ann Moses, who actually was the editor of, um, Tiger Beat from the, from 1966 to about 72, she says he was probably the most grounded of all the teen idols and was always super gracious oh, with his. Time when she would need to interview him, he wouldn't just like talk to her in between scenes of some TV show he was on. He would go to lunch with her. He would mm-hmm. take her out to lunch and spend like two hours talking to her and answering her questions. And actually, she wrote um, a memoir about her time as uh, the editor called "Meow: My Groovy Life with Tiger Beat Teen Idols," <laughs> and he wrote the foreword for that. So, oh, that's nice. Cool. That's nice.
0: Yes. And Bobby Sherman is, he is responsible for the very first time I put on the crushologist hat. because i i didn't know about bobby sherman really until the 90s like i saw him next to david cassidy but i didn't know that he was a famous person i had no idea um and i was talking with a colleague in the library this is in the 90s about her daughter's crush on leonardo dicaprio and she spoke in such validating terms about it and she said she was honoring this moment in her daughter's life because of her own very serious crush on bobby sherman and so she was the one who introduced me to this concept that these crushes that we have serve a developmental purpose for us. They're, they're like our practice boyfriends. And I was so taken with that idea. And so Bobby Sherman allowed her to understand and lovingly parent her daughter because she remembered her own feelings and
1: mm-hmm.
2: knew they were real. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> Thank so you, Bobby sweet. Sherman. Yeah, that's, that's nice. Right. You are one good guy, Bobby. I know. Like you. I didn't
1: think I could love you anymore. <laughs> uh, okay, moving on to our number eight top teen idol of the tiger beat era. Um, and at number eight is John Travolta, someone we are still seeing, and in my opinion, have seen way too much of over the past mm-hmm. couple of decades. But this isn't about my feelings. Um, or it isn't about the past two decades <laughs> or three. So let's go back to the 70s um, and let's talk about John Travolta, who, as we know, starting in 1975 was Vinnie Barberino and Welcome Back Cotter for four seasons. In um, November of 1976, he stars in The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. In 1977, of course, probably one of his top two famous roles, he's Tony in Saturday Night Fever, which he was um, one of the youngest Academy Award nominees for Best Actor in a Motion Picture for. Um, he, then in, follows that up. I mean, how do you follow that up? But he does. He follows it up with Danny Zuko in Greece in 1978, 1980. He's in a movie with Deborah Winger called Urban Cowboy. Not quite as well received as his previous, but still decent. Um, And then, as we know, goes on to do a whole bunch of more things. But because we're stopping in 1981, this is where we stop. Um, So let's talk his hysteria factor. Huge. I mean, his pants, hips, and strut in Saturday Night Fever alone get enough hysteria to firmly place him in our top 10, I think. But honestly, mm-hmm. he was enormously squeal squeal worthy, even as Vinnie Barberino. I mean those turtlenecks, you guys. That's when I remember him yeah. the, the most. That's when I remember mm-hmm. people being I remember people being in love with Vinnie Barberino oh, yeah. almost more
0: than I in than I remember them being in love with John Travolta. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, 100 percent Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, his ubiquity level fairly high, right? In nineteen seventy-five to seventy-nineties, in TV movies, he's on the radio. His Grease mm-hmm. album, uh, the, all those songs that he sang in were, were on the radio. Um, and he was all over. You know, he was on our. He was all over the movies, basically. Um, and remember, in those days, movies. They stuck around for a long, long time.
0: Right. You know, Saturday Night Fever was probably in the theater for two years, as was Grease. So he
1: could have been in the theaters with Saturday Night Fever and Grease simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And he did also, uh, speaking of ubiquity level, he was also on the radio besides just being in Greece. In 1976, did you know John Travolta had a hit single, was called Let Her In, and it got to number 10. Gonna let her in Gonna let her in Gonna let her in my life he got to
0: number 10? Wow. That is the worst so song. That, so that means played a lot. not yeah. a good song. <laughs> um, I have that album, by the way, and yeah, I always say... It was an say, album?
1: There were enough oh yes, songs to have a yes, whole album?
0: It was a whole yeah. album. And I always say about that album, like, I don't need to listen to this album, I just need to know that it exists. <laughs> right.
1: That's all. Um, so... Um, Salesforce. I think the Saturday Night Fever and Grease albums alone make oh, this yeah. a huge score for John Travolta. And then cover domination, not quite as high as others on our list, but from 1977 to 1979, he certainly graced covers like numbering in the double digits. Um as yeah. well as he showed up on other magazines like People. I don't know, I'm just going to throw out there he was probably on, you know, Life, Newsweek, because <laughs> well, and that's because, because he Night was Fever really an Grease adult huge Yeah, so he Mm -hmm. would, because he's not a teenager
0: or, you know, teenager adjacent, Mm -hmm. he probably would be less Tiger Beat worthy and more People Magazine worthy. Well,
1: and let's not forget... While filming The Boy in the Plastic Bubble in 76, he starts this May-December romance with actress Diana Highland, yeah. which was very documented. So mm-hmm. that he was um he was even more in front of our faces because of that romance yeah. than his personal um, life was in our faces. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that was number eight. Now um we're gonna move on to number
2: seven. And now a pause for station identification.
1: You guys, isn't it great how some of our favorite teen idols are still around today, performing and looking great, like Donnie and Sean?
2: It is. I wish there was a way they could learn about our society, maybe even be a guest on our show one day.
0: There is. What? There is? How? How? If everyone who is listening would just take two minutes to follow our show where they're listening, rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts if they are listening there, and share their love of our show with friends so our society grows, I just know that one day Sean Cassidy and Donnie Osmond will hear about the Pop Culture Preservation Society and fall in love with us.
1: I mean it.
2: But what about Jimmy McNichol? Will he hear about it
1: too? Well, only if people do all those things, but also sign up for our fun PCPS Gen X news, which they can do on our website at poppreservationists.com. Jimmy told me that that was the only way he'd be in. He's so supportive. <laughs> <laughs> and now,
0: back to our show. Number seven, we had to give, we had to give number seven to, um, to Michelle because mm-hmm. we, Carolyn and I could not cheat on Sean Cassidy that's right okay so
1: Michelle who's in our and since six I'm Sean Cassidy's sister-in-law those of you listening right. know that <laughs> um, to be true um and by the way people when I say know that to be true um I'm not really his sister-in-law <laughs> that actually has confused some people oh are you kidding <laughs> yes are, do people think I, that's you're being really his sister I am not really his sister-in-law if you go back and listen to several of our podcast episodes it's because my sister claimed him, claimed him as her crush so I just had to look at him as my sister's husband so I always consider myself his sister-in-law he's just Um, you're his 1977 sister-in-law correct so at number seven is Leif Garrett (laughs) I am having to separate my own opinions here because I always thought he looked dirty. But (laughs) I I am definitely, I know listeners, I know I'm definitely in the minority. I know Leaf was huge. I know many of you listening have feelings. So mm-hmm. don't yell at me right now. Don't send me letters. We put um, him on the list. Yeah. We put him on the Gosh. list. He, and he, he, deserves his place on, <laughs> he deserves his place on the list because, listen, yeah, he does. hysteria was impressive given that he yeah. looks like a dirty pirate. <laughs> <But> for, <laughs> it's that bandana thing that he wears. Uh, no,
0: that's what he wears now. Oh. He didn't wear but it red, then, right, but right, his sure. hair was still dirty. He's okay. still it's looks the, dirty I think me. it's the hooded eyes that made me think he was a bad boy, and that scared me.
1: Because for real, it was like, it was like team girls were separated into two teams from 1976 to 1978. Mm -hmm. You were team leaf or team shot. The ones who liked the bad boys who smelled like discontent. And then there were the (laughs) ones who liked the good boys who looked like they showered and actually loved Mm -hmm. their mama. Mm -hmm. Those were the two teams. That's perfect. Yeah. Although my sister loved both of them, which actually explains a lot. Um, (laughs) Oh. Oh, she had posters of both of them on her wall. Um, So so Leaf's ubiquity factor. um, Listen, hi, but there's people on this list that I feel like their ubiquity level was higher because although Leaf had a hit skateboarding movie and he (laughs) did want to take Buddy's virginity on family, it was really just his albums, I feel, that were his moneymaker. Oh, I really do. I mean, yeah. He was, was he showed up on our TV album. shows, but nothing like he had a hit series or yeah. he right. He had that hit skateboard right. movie, but then he was just on little things. He was just well, he, he had a star skateboard here movie.
0: Oh, he did. Was that um the skateboard movie was that a made
1: for TV movie? I, I
0: really no, I think it was a movie movie. Oh, skateboard okay. USA
1: or
2: skate? I forgot. Skateboard. Oh, I forgot. Okay, but um, um, I think he had. We'd see him he on specials a, and stuff. He had a TV show called Three for the Road, where they lived in a Winnebago, and Vince Van Patten, I think, was his brother. Or something oh, and he did shower for a year, probably didn't. Um, okay, That's maybe, why his like, hair I think their like mom had died, and the dad and the sons went on this like trip mm-hmm. in a Winnebago around the country. Oh, that totally sounds like something I
0: would have watched. Excellent, How I yeah, I not know
2: that. It had well, like Jared his cover and domination,
0: it. <laughs> yeah,
1: good point. His cover is it domination, leaf? I'm
2: gonna interrupt. Is it leaf. leaf or leaf?
1: It's leaf, it's leaf, leaf, yeah, like a leaf, like a like a, <laughs> no, it's it's like leaf. a <laughs> crunchy leaf fallen from a tree. Okay, I don't know. Kristen is saying it's leaf. It's, no, I'm saying it's Leif. Okay, oh, Michelle is saying, leif. saying leif. it's, it's Leif. I always call it Leif. Okay, Leif. Yeah. Okay, I stand corrected. In Norway, everyone. they sorry, say everyone. Leif. Okay, what do they say in France, Kristen? <laughs> yep. <Yeah>. Lulu. <Leif. laughs> okay. Oh, we're funny. <laughs> so, Leif's, <laughs> and I apologize. I'm sure, how many people do you think have been yelling at me since I started number seven? <laughs> yes, oh, I know.
0: We're pissing a lot of people mm. off. Oh now. my no God. No disrespect so to the leaf Garrett fans. sorry. Phase. And right now the Leif Garrett fans are screaming either Leif or (laughs) Leaf. They're both, all of them are
1: correcting us. Yes. Okay. So Leif's cover (laughs) domination was high. His shaggy head took up so much space on the covers of Tiger Beat. And his poster count inside each issue was impressive. Like sometimes I have a whole bunch of old issues of Tiger Beat and I can open them. And in some issues, he has like three color posters in one issue. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there you go. I have a fun fact for you guys. You want to hear a fun fact yes, about please. Leif? Oh, yeah. Okay. So Leif Garrett and Willie Ames were almost interchangeable. And I'm not just talking about their poodly hair. Leif played the role of Leonard Unger, the son of Felix Unger, Tony Randall, on the ABC series The Odd Couple, that a part that had been previously played by Willie Ames. Oh, and as we know, they good. were both buddies, Paramount paramours. Paramours, right? On family. On family. Oh, that's Uh right. Yes. Oh, those are
2: some, that's some So I'm wondering if the casting directors
1: were like, ah, shaggy poodly hair. Yeah, dude, you're in.
2: Yeah. Do you have another poodly guy? like him. They don't (laughs) look anything alike, please. And she should have. It's just their hair. Willie Ames. He was only on a couple episodes and that, oh, <laughs> I'm just, that really disappointed me. It was crushing. It was crushing. It was.
0: And now in the number six spot, who do we have, Michelle? In
1: the number six spot, we have Scott Bayo. Now you all know my cousin Chachi. How you doing, blue eyes? What are you selling today, shrimp? Oh no, I sold all the shrimp to Alfred. But for you, I got no smear lipstick. We can test it out later. wah, wah. wah. Now, everyone, we need to pause for the recurring PCPS Bayo disclaimer. You guys, seriously, I might just record this so going forward we can save time and we can just slide this sucker in. All right? Here we go. (laughs) The PCPS does not currently or has never endorsed the adult Scott Bayo. When discussing Scott Bayo on this podcast, we stand firmly in our 1977 to 1981 shoes and definitively separate the Bayo of then with the Bayo of now. While we respect everyone's feelings about Scott Bayo, we do not have to agree with them. Hashtag ForeverChachi, hashtag it's how we can sleep at night. Thank you. Chachi Forever. Okay. So Scott Bayo, my dream boy, my my everything, my world, my heart, my soul, my being, the goo that hold, <laughs> held all my organs together, basically took over after Sean Cassidy. He blew in during the Sean hysteria in 1977 and appealed to those who Sean might have seemed a tiny bit too old for, me. But then he stuck around after Sean made his disappearing act in 1978. Bayo's hysteria level was enormous, enormous. No, wait, no, wait. Actually, that was just the hysteria level coming from my bedroom between the years of <laughs> 1978 and 1981. But actually, you guys, while girls went crazy for him, I will say that I have photographic evidence that it wasn't nearly Sean level, even in like 1978 or 1979, because if you'll all remember, I saw him perform live at Magic Mountain in my dreaded dog ears. And I have pictures from a distance because if you'll remember from our crushes episode, I was worried if I sat too close to the stage, he'd see me and want to marry me. And while I loved him with my whole heart, my whole being, getting married at age nine was just too scary. (laughs) So anyway, I have pictures of the stage. And while there is definitely a crowd of girls around the stage, you guys, it's definitely not a mob. And this was oh. in like 1978 or 79. So he's okay. playing the the um, theme park circuit. Um, but however, Gary Marshall's son tells a story of when they'd go do press for Happy Days, the mobs of girls chasing Scott Bayo were terrifying. Like he couldn't leave oh. the building because he would get chased down. So, um, I think the so history level was still big, yeah. That counts. Um, his ubiquity level was was decent. I don't think it was huge because we mainly saw Scott Bayo on our screens. Um, he, of course, was Chachi, which is really all we need to know. But he had other fairly big acting roles. He made a screen debut in Bugsy Malone. He was in several mm. after-school specials, especially the classic, The Boy Who Drank Too Much. Um, oh, yeah. Several, several, multiple um, – Appearances on Battle of the Network stars. Remember that from our episode where Scott Bale mm-hmm. fought, he set all those records. Um, he had that big, that big important role as the manager in Skate Town USA. Um, <laughs> but, the, the manager of
0: the skating yeah. rink.
1: Yeah. No, he was the manager, wasn't he the manager of Maureen McCormick and her yeah, brother? He was like yeah. the, the oh. You know. oh He was like gonna be their <laughs> in manager In like, yeah.
2: wasn't um, no- wasn't he nominated for an Oscar for that? Uh, for <laughs> <laughs>
1: i'm sure he says he probably says he was but you guys <laughs> yes. actually shows like Joni loves chachi and charles in charge were post 1981 so those don't count in this in mm-hmm. this ranking um and even his stellar album which i still own to this day scott baio wasn't released until 1982 um however cover domination this That's is where, where Bayo earns yeah, his totally. spot in this list because mm-hmm. you guys, I'm not sure there was a Tiger Beat cover from 1978 to 1983 or even 84 without him on the cover. They needed him. I needed him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. That is true. Oh. That's true. Scott Bayo was on every single mm-hmm. magazine, not just Tiger Beat. He was on the cover of every single
1: magazine. And much like I'm sure you guys can do, I know Carolyn, you can do it with Jimmy McNichol. Kristen, you can do with multiple people. <laughs> I see those, old, you know, I have these old issues, and when I see these posters of him from around 1978, oh, I just my insights turned to mush. Still, I know. Oh gosh, mm-hmm. yeah. Again, though, again, I'll refer back to our disclaimer. That's because I can stand in my in my ten year old shoes still. Mm-hmm. Sure, That's right. It's a big it's a big difference to how I feel when I see pictures of him today.
0: Yeah, All right. there, those are two different people. Those yeah. are two different. Mm-hmm. We're all yeah. about chachi here. Yeah. We're all about chachi. Okay. In the number five spot. So, in making this top 10 list, this is my disclaimer now. I had to address my own biases because although it is not yet peer reviewed for its scientific accuracy, this list ceases to be meaningful if I think my feelings are the most important. So the feelings that I had for the person in the number five spot were so big that it feels like he really should be number one on all the lists. Whatever list you have, (laughs) he should be the number one on that list. But if I'm using the Crushology scale that I made up, then I have to keep my feelings in check. So in the number five spot is my beloved Andy Gibb. (laughs) And Amy Lively from our favorite podcast called For the Record, the 70s, she commented on our Teen Idol post this week on Instagram by saying that Andy needs to be near the top because of his massive chart success. Mm -hmm. Massive, yes. Historic, even. He had eight singles reach the top 20, three of which reached number one, I Just Want to Be Your Everything, which was the most played record of 1977. Love is Thicker Than Water, which actually bumped his brother Stan Alive out of the number one spot, and Shadow Dancing, which was Billboard's number one song of the entire year of 1978. He was the first male solo artist to have three consecutive number one singles on the Billboard Hot 100, all of which happened in less than one year, between July 1977 and July 1978. And he's the only performer in history to have his first three singles all go to number one, selling over 15 million records by the time he was 21. And that is a record that still stands today. So all of these sales were sort of driven by a hysteria amongst the people who couldn't get enough of his earnest, freckled face and his long, beautiful feathered hair. He was, I think, a natural stepping stone for people after Sean Cassidy because he was like... He was, like, puppy love plus chest hair. Like, he was a sweetheart who fucks. Like, oh, he may not have been a virgin. Um, and he started appearing. He was just, but he wasn't a bad boy. You were just a little bit like, hmm, he might not be a virgin. Um, and that was, at that time, maybe a little interesting. So he started appearing on covers of Tiger Beat in June of 1978, and you can see him pretty much every month up until the beginning of 1980. But interestingly enough, not as much on Tiger Beat. It was more Teen Beat, Teen Life, Co-Ed, mm. and even People Magazine. So he was reaching people outside the teeny Bobber audience as well. He was a real legit star. Um And he was described, I just love this, you guys. He was described by people who knew him when he was little as a cheeky little lad with a heart of gold. Mm -hmm. Aww. Mm -hmm.
1: R.I.P. Andy. Yeah.
0: He was my um, husband.
1: I mean and that's we we're gonna just, walk around our apartment in our bathrobes together. There's so, so many of these people mm-hmm. that we can say gone too soon, but man, oh yeah, he is that is such a tragedy. How old was he? Thirty?
0: He was thirty years old when he yeah. died. Oh. Yeah.
1: A lot of sadness. Imagine that. what we have I mean, to to sound selfish. Mm-hmm. What the world has missed out on. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. I mean, obviously, it goes without saying what Andy Gibb has missed out on. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. mean what he still had left to do. Yeah. If that's what he had accomplished at age 30, and he very well might have said, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to pack it in mm-hmm. for the next 20 years. And, you know, look at Sean Cassidy, though, comes back and he's writing and directing yeah. and performing again. And, I just feel like Andy Gibb, God, he just wasn't done.
0: Well, and if you recall from um, one of our very few, ep- few episodes, How Deep Is Your Love for the Bee Gees, was really about that HBO mm-hmm. documentary about the Bee Gees, and in that, they reveal that they were on the verge right. of inviting Andy Gibb to be the fourth Bee Gee. Mm-hmm. So we would have had this resurrection of the Bee Gees that would have included him, and that could have been the rest of his life. It would have been a beautiful thing to watch unfold. Oh, that's so sad. I know. Carolyn's face right now. I oh know. my goodness. <laughs> but that's okay, because I get to talk about the number four spot. Look. <laughs> it's on actually on her screen right now. Number four is, is on Carolyn's uh-huh.
1: screen. Holding
0: Hold in the face. palm
2: of my hand. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the number four spot goes to Sean Cassidy. will come out tonight. Stars Okay, I'll take a breath. Because, I mean, come on, where do we begin? Mm-hmm. Actually, you can go back. This is and-
0: also one of those places where I had to address my own biases.
2: I had, to, I had to hold back. Sure. Okay, sorry. But I think, when I've looked at your entire list, that this is the right place for Sean Cassidy at number oh, four. Oh, thank you for that, Carolyn. You're very welcome. To many of us, though, I'll have to say that he is the teen idol. And he was, <laughs> for many of us, our first real celebrity crush. Mm-hmm. In terms of ubiquity, we could see Sean on our TV as Joe Hardy on ABC's The Hardy Boys, and he was on there from 1977 to 1979, and then in one season of Breaking Away. Sadly, it didn't last more than one season. But
0: he was cute in that. He was he so was adorable. Cute. I can't believe we didn't watch that show.
2: While we watched Sean on our screens on The Hardy Boys, we could hear him coming through our speakers or our giant foam headphones, in my case, (laughs) as we listened to one of the six albums he made from 1976 to 1980. God, six albums. That's crazy. I know. No wonder he was burned out. No, really. He Mm -hmm. sold out more than 27 concerts during this time, with the last being at the Houston Astrodome, where he played to more than 55,000 screaming fans. Okay. That would be hysteria for you right there, people. 55,000 yeah. Screamy fans. We're not at, again, Six Flags Over Texas singing our one right. hit on the right. stage <laughs> under the log plume.
0: And do you remember what he said in the concert about those moments of hysteria mm-hmm. and, and the people throwing things at him? Mm-hmm. He said, y'all are crazy. <laughs> He's y'all, y'all scared so funny. Me. Yeah, He was terrified of the people in the audience. And and everybody would bring their little Kodak Instamatic camera with the little flash cube on it. And then when they ran out of film, they would pull the flash cubes off and they would throw them on the stage, I guess, in love. <laughs> but he said they were
1: super sharp yeah. and they hurt. He's <laughs> yes. getting beaned by flash cubes. Yes. And these Nothing are the people,
0: like, they're just what? so hysterical that they, know, they don't even know that what they're doing is Well, violent. exactly. I mean,
2: that's, I think, the basis of hysteria is you lose all control like there's no common sense to the things that you're doing you're not always thinking them through well
1: and i would argue that after his brother he has the highest uh, i mean in the 70s since we're only going until 1981 he absolutely has the highest hysteria fact mm-hmm. like score hysteria factor oh, definitely. Score, could not contain of anybody themselves. yeah other than his brother yeah oh mm-hmm. yeah it was like on our list the baton. that's on our list yeah yeah
2: exactly um and i would venture to say that that hysteria factor is still high as evidenced mm-hmm. by our <laughs> trip recently to see him live in chicago and someone throws a bra on stage as yeah. he is singing Uh huh. so again people doing some wild and crazy things because of their devout love for that man yeah um Mm -hmm. okay i think he wins the category of salesforce you guys and merch oh yeah yeah i think we're gonna give that to Mm sean okay we've got if you just all you have to do is look at the sears wishbook catalog from 1979 where you can (laughs) see his face on nightgowns on t-shirts on satin jackets you can see his embroidered signature on the yes the back pocket um of jeans your dungarees yes of your that's exactly right and then if you flip to the toy section you'd be able to find his joe hardy doll he had a lunchbox he had jewelry he had posters he had books he had uh trading cards the list goes on oh
1: yeah record even the the halloween
0: costumes yes
2: Yes. that's creepy
0: the sean cassidy plastic mask
2: merch to the nth degree he really yeah, was. He was. And he was a part of not one, but two fan clubs. You could be in the Sean Cassidy fan club, or you could be in the Hardy Boys fan club. So, yeah, he had both of those markets covered. And Tiger Beat covers, I'm betting he might be the winner if we yeah, actually could count up every single so. one. Mm-hmm. Um, I stopped at about 45 when I was counting. So oh, my God. So, that is a lot of covers. Yeah. Um, yes. But – um he still isn't number four because we've got mm-hmm. three that can yeah. beat him, according to our so, pro pressure. Right, so who, who could possibly be
1: one, two, and three if Sean Cassidy is number four? It's big, you guys.
0: Okay. It's big. Okay, okay so in on. the number three spot, we have, bum, 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 it is said that Davy Jones of the monkeys is responsible for saving Tiger Beat magazine. After just four issues, their first four issues, their funds were drying up, and they weren't going to make it. And then they went to a screening of a new TV show about four mischievous lads who play (laughs) in a band. They saw Davy, and at the last minute, they added his picture to the top corner of their fifth issue. That issue sold out, putting the magazine in the black. And Davy was pretty much on every cover after that point. Wow. 16 Magazine has said that the monkeys drove their circulation higher than it ever had been or ever would be again. They went from a million readers a month to four million wow. readers a month because of Davy Jones. Wow. who was, you know, kind of universally acknowledged as the cute one of the group. And
1: yes. I'm sorry, guys,
0: <laughs> but he was the most popular one. I think we yeah. just say oh, that. I'm sorry.
1: For sure. What year? What, tell me what year this was.
0: 1967. Okay. 1967. The show was on from – in. Um, 67 and 68 and the show ended in 1968 and Davy Jones he's like the definition of a teen idol he's very slight and smooth with a fresh adorable face making him both cute but also unthreatening a lot of teen idols were a little bit feminine for that reason he was innocent but unlike the teen idols of the 50s he was a little bit cheeky and he was up for being a little bit naughty which to me (laughs) I found very attractive Um, he was everything that prepubescent girls were really attracted to. And in 2008, Yahoo Music deemed him the number one teen idol of all time.
1: Wow. wow. And I, I have a question agree. for you, Kristen. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we know that Davy Jones was like your first crush, right? Your mm-hmm. first, first crush. Yeah. But you're born, you were born in 1968. So when you're mm-hmm. crushing on him, I mean, at earliest, this is like what, 1972? Because we all had our first crushes from mm-hmm. like age four years old. Yep, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So are you crushing on 1972 Davy Jones or are you oh, crushing no, no. on 1967 Davy Jones?
0: This is a very um this is a, a very interesting concept because during its run, the show pulled in about 20 million viewers a week, but they started gaining more fans after they broke up because mm-hmm. the show continued in syndication. I was watching it in syndication. I did not know that the monkeys that I was watching watching on TV, were not their current iteration. I had no idea. And it happened again in the 80s with MTV Mm -hmm. and it happened again in the 90s with Nickelodeon. So I went to a Monkees concert in 1995 and the stadium was full of teenage girls. And I'm like, what are they doing here? And so I finally stopped somebody. I stopped this poor teenage girl and I was like, why are you here? What is (laughs) happening? (laughs) And she said, Nickelodeon. And so these girls were falling in love with Davy Jones with the 1967-68 iteration of Davy right. Jones. They were fans all over again. And also let's not forget that he stars in the most rerun episode of the Brady Bunch ever called Getting Davy Jones.
1: Girl,
2: look what you've done to me.
0: And did you guys know that in 1967, the monkeys outsold both the Beatles and the Rolling Stones? Really? they wow. re- They released four albums in a single year, which is a record that still has not been broken. Um, so they sold like 16 million albums, seven and a half million singles, and all of this was in just two years' time. That's it. Wow.
2: Yeah. They wow. must have been exhausted. How do you I know.
0: do that? And those, do you guys remember those... Um, If you watch the show, you remember the scenes where, um, like the live live concert footage scenes or the scenes where they're running away from the girls from concerts in Paris or in London. Oh, I was so wrapped up in those scenes. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to figure out why that was so attractive to me. And all I can figure out is that they were mirroring how I felt or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But those guys running away from girls. So funny, yeah.
1: (laughs) I couldn't get enough. Mm -hmm. I loved it. Well, my goodness. So if he was deemed the number one teen idol of all time, who could possibly be in our number two spot? I know. I know. I'll tell you. I'm going to tell you. In our number two spot is Donny Osmond. Toothy. first crush. I did not place him in number two, but I am not going to argue with it. You guys talk <laughs> about you wouldn't. staying power. Donny yeah. Osmond just released his 65th album. He's conquered Broadway. Less He's won Dancing America. with the Stars. He's also currently selling out of Vegas residency at age 63. But let's go back to 1967 to 1981 mm-hmm. because those are our parameters, people. We're sticking yep. with them. Okay, so Hysteria. Basically, Donny Osmond gave new meaning to the color purple, correct? (laughs) (laughs) And since he basically became an idol at age five, by 1967, when he was only 10, until he shattered our hearts in 1978 by getting married at age 20, he was sort of the baby-faced dream. Yeah, he was. I mean- Along with Davy Jones. I mean, Davy Jones Mm -hmm. kind of was off the covers by early Mm -hmm. 70s or maybe even by like 67, when Donny Mm -hmm. Osmond kind of swooped in. Um, And he was just a young boy then, but he was getting so much exposure because he was singing with his brothers. Very quickly, he broke away and Mm -hmm. started singing on his own and with his sister. Um, So Ubiquity, obviously, we've got his music. We've got variety shows, the Donny and Marie show from 1976 to 1979. Countless specials, concerts, albums. He was everywhere for that decade. I mean, he still is. Um, And then Salesforce, sort of like Sean Cassidy. Between he and Marie and then Donnie alone, his face adorned everything from lunchboxes to dolls to socks to creepy Halloween costumes. It could be Donnie (laughs) and Marie with a plastic mask for Halloween. And then let's go back to his albums. From 1967 to 1981, he had nine studio albums alone. That's not counting the albums he had with the Osmonds. Just Just Donny Osmond had nine. Yes. Yeah. And cover domination, just enormous Um, from the early 70s until 1978, which is after he got married- slowly and then very quickly, (laughs) Donnie was absent from, and I have a whole bunch of Tiger Beat magazines from 1978, and it is hilarious how they're still trying so hard to to like pimp Donny Osmond for us because they have all these pictures of him with Debbie and they just go on and on about how, how, what it's so beautiful and how, oh, of course he's still going to love his fans. And they're trying to just <laughs> do such a hard sell job on him to us still. Yeah. But really everybody was like, oh, what? You're 20. He's you off just the married market. this cute little 19 year old girl. Mm-hmm. None of us knew what was coming. I mean, boom, shortest engagement. And like that was out of left field. Right and she um, needed more notice michelle mm-hmm. really needed more notice for yes. this to happen yes and <laughs> so she could prepare herself also that's how the the, the donnie and marie show only lasted another year after he got married because yeah, all true. of a sudden everybody was like wait you're married <laughs> moving on yeah. so mm-hmm. um yeah but there you go with donnie osman he was our and no- I- he is number two for a reason um i just think that he he had longevity right I think he he deserves
0: to be here because he started so young that it gave him more than one opportunity to be an actual teenaged teen idol. With the Osmonds, he's a little boy. When he does Donnie and Marie, he's now, he's still a teenager, Mm -hmm. but he's all on his own and he's getting a whole bunch of new people. It's almost like he had two careers before he was 20 years old. I think it's now time for, to reveal the number one teen idol of the Tiger Beat era. And in our number one spot, I don't think the world will ever again see the level of hysteria inspired by David Cassidy. He was the first star to be globally marketed. I had never really considered that. And so when he finished shooting the Partridge family for the week, they would put him on a private jet and they would speed him away to a concert in Japan or Europe or Australia where the hysteria reached such levels that the Australian government actually considered deporting him. Oh, my gosh. Because it was getting to be dangerous. Um in New York City, the day that Madison Square Garden puts his, rec- his um, concert tickets on sale, they sell out immediately in a single day, and riots erupt in the streets of New York City. Mm. Not at the concert, but the day that they sell the, the tickets, just because to get they tickets, sell out yeah. so fast. Just oh to get gosh. tickets. Between 1970 and 1975, his fan club was the largest in history, mm. including that of the Beatles or Elvis combined, uh, combined. What? Yes. Combined. There were 27 hit singles, 14 albums, 24 golden platinum recordings. And that does not include the stuff he did with the Partridge family, which was its own industry. That alone had so many hits, like 89 singles, something oh crazy. Gosh! And the Partridge family spawned lunch boxes, coloring books, board games, trading cards, even a series of mystery books. Oh, and yeah. he gets included in all of that. And even though he didn't see much of that merchandising money, he was still the world's highest-paid performer by the time he was 21 years old. Golly! All I'm it's thinking usualized. in my head, as you're
1: saying all these things, the only thing that has replayed in my head about 10 times is that poor kid. I that poor kid. That's all That's I keep a lot thinking. Of Not like how awesome. Oh, how I cool! Know. I just keep thinking that poor kid. I know. Well, he famously
0: walked away from performing after a massive stampede at a concert in England in 1974 in which 800 people were injured Mm -hmm. and a 14-year-old girl was killed. Not to bring the party down, but that's not going to go well for a person who feels responsible for it. And he did. did. How could you Mm -hmm. not? I know. It was really horrible for him. It's almost like his whole career is kind of like a fairy tale, like like he had the special sauce, right? And he had so much of it that it became dangerous. Mm-hmm. And yes, he was mercilessly marketed, but his looks combined with his talent and his charisma, it was mm-hmm. historically explosive, essentially. Yes. And I don't know that the producers of the Partridge family knew what they had until they did.
2: Well, exactly. I saw yeah. that he. they did not even know That he could sing. They were going to have him lip sync. And -hmm. then they just heard him singing and thought, oh, maybe we'll let him sing the songs. And so that was just um, goddipitous, as they say, that he ended up um, yeah, being marketed that way because he could sing. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, his father was Jack Cassidy. Right.
0: (laughs) Could definitely sing. And then he contributed to the meteoric rise of the Partridge family, not just the TV show, but the records, too, and all of mm-hmm. the songs. I mean, that voice, when you listen to David Cassidy's voice, it's so recognizable, and it's so beautiful. It's just one of a kind. It really is.
2: Yeah. He, he was very special.
0: Um, He was in, according to DavidCassidy.com, he was in 63 issues of Tiger Beat, um, including from what I could count, at least 20 in a row, like covers Whoa. of Tiger Beat mm-hmm. where he never was off the cover of Tiger Beat for at least 20 issues.
2: Wow.
1: He was everywhere. And how he was everywhere. crazy is it for that family that then his half-brother comes along <laughs> and basically picks up Picks up where he left off. Yeah, wouldn't you be kind of scared if you were Sean Cassidy? Yeah. Like, is that mm-hmm.
0: what I want? But well, I think he learned some really important lessons from that too. I do
2: too, and I wonder if that wasn't a contributing factor to him kind of after that Houston Astrodome concert, mm-hmm. yeah. kind of knowing like this is the end of my teen idol career. Like, I'm an, yeah. I know when to mm-hmm. call it quits, and I'm not um, not going to push it past its prime.
0: Yeah. And And then he turned, he just very wisely turned to other things. He was going to do acting. He was going to do writing. He's now famously um, a producer, a writer, a consultant for the show New Amsterdam. He's very successful. Mm -hmm. He really carved out a beautiful life for himself.
2: Really did, as we uh, know, and as a wonderful performer right now, too, Mm -hmm. because we've seen that a few times.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I think David Cassidy is definitely a worthy number one for our PCPS top 10 teen idols of the Tiger Beat era list. Um, But we asked our society on Instagram to tell us who they thought was the number one teen idol of all time, not just between 1967 and 1981. And most people shared, most of, almost all, the people we just mentioned, We also got answers ranging from Frank Sinatra and James Dean, very worthy, to Kirk Cameron, not so worthy. (laughs) Um, But we respect, hey, you go, whoever said Kirk Cameron. (laughs) Uh, We have many, 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 many answers for Sean and David. But Mm -hmm. one solid answer that was given again and again that we cannot ignore is Elvis. So I'm going to ask you, crushologist,
0: mm-hmm. Elvis Presley,
1: or David Cassidy? Which that's, one do you think is the biggest teen idol of all time? That's a Not really good question. Not just the Tiger question. Beat era.
0: Yeah, all That's a time. really good question. So Elvis is the king. He will always be the king. And the role he played in teen culture can really never be overstated. Mm-hmm. In fact, he contributed to to the whole creation of the teenager before, before the rock and roll era, there was no such thing as a teenager. There were children and there were adults. And it wasn't until Elvis was like kind of encouraging people to, you know, you can think what you want. You don't have to think the same things that your parents do. We got this in between time. um, That was the people regarded as kind of rebellious. And that was one reason that parents did not like Elvis because he was encouraging their teenagers to be teenagers. But as far as Elvis versus David Cassidy, it's really, it's gotta be apples and oranges. It really is because Mm -hmm. Elvis's record sales are huge, but much of that came posthumously from people who never regarded him as a teen idol, including men, a huge following of men who have no interest in him as a teen idol. Um, His fan club numbers never matched David Cassidy's, not even close, even though he had 20 years to gather all of those people. And David Cassidy did that in five. He doubled it. He doubled mm-hmm. the number of Elvis' fan club members in just five years. And I learned just today from Amy Lively on her podcast for the record, the 70s, that even the Osmonds had, so they had 11 gold records in just one year, 1972. That's more than the Beatles or Elvis ever did. Elvis had a lot of gold records, but that came over decades and decades and for a different reason than the Osmonds did. That was that those record sales were feeding the hysteria. So the speed of the Osmonds gold records or David Cassidy's fan base, it represents a fever pitch instead of a slow burn. That fever pitch is hysteria. Elvis, of course, had his monumental levels of hysteria, to be sure. He may have even started the whole notion of hysteria. But David Cassidy and the Osmonds, they perfected it. They And so he kind of gets... I think. I think Elvis gets special status for this reason. He was the first of the rock and roll era to turn people into screaming crazed fans. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. maybe it's more like a lifetime achievement award. So... Uh, it's really hard to do comparisons. I think he gets special status on a lifetime achievement award. I got to put David Cassidy yeah. in the number one spot. He
1: he maintains the number one spot. I think after ever, I think that's a really good way. That's a really good workaround there, crashologist. But I actually that. do think I, I'm kidding. I mean that it is it is a workaround, but at the same mm-hmm. time, I fully support it. I think that that actually makes a lot of sense.
2: Hmm. Hmm. Don't tell the All people right.
0: at Graceland I said that though.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe he's still alive. Maybe he listens to our podcast. (laughs) He might call in. (laughs) I am the number one
0: T9 of all time. (laughs) Well, no matter how they rank, these people were very important to us. There's no doubt. There's just no winning this game. Because at the end of the day, these are highly personal decisions based on feelings rather than numbers. It would be like ranking our husbands. So if your first boyfriend did not make the list, or if you think your first boyfriend should be higher, it only means that the numbers don't adequately reflect your feelings. And numbers and feelings are not friends. So I personally would like to give a hearty thank you to these people who are on our list for being our first teachers. No matter how silly or nonsensical our behavior might appear in the rearview mirror, they allowed us to see and feel what it would be like to be in love. Rest in peace, Davy Jones and Andy Gibb and the dearly departed David Cassidy. You
2: are our forever boyfriends. Thanks everybody for listening today. And join us next week when we will be sharing your stories of that iconic gen x playground a place where we could play grown up and carefully craft our identities through clothes books records and iron-on t-shirts the mall
1: do we get to um eat snack on little samples of beef sticks from hickory farms while we record that i hope so little cheese cubes yeah cheese cubes on a toothpick perfect okay (laughs) Uh, And please, please share your love of our podcast and society with everyone you know and everyone you meet. Seriously, everyone. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts and have a moment to help us, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review. It is how others... Like Amy Poehler and Tina Fey will find us. <laughs> and make sure you are all signed up for our really fun PCPS news via email that will come straight to your inbox. Just go to our website at poppreservationists.com. Our weekly reader is chock full of fun Gen X stuff that you don't want to miss. In the meantime, let's
0: raise our glasses, courtesy of our friends near the Santa Monica Pier, Jack Tripper, Janet Wood, and Chrissy Snow, to good times. Two happy days. To Little House on the
2: Prairie. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers Sing a song.